Gracious God, we thank you that you uh, speak to us still today. You're not silent, but you're speaking to us through your word, by your Holy Spirit. Give us ears to hear now what you want to say to each and every one of us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. In our epistle reading, which is what I want to focus on mainly this morning, the Apostle Paul is giving um, some deep-rooted convictions that motivated his life and his ministry. Somebody has said that, and I think I've quoted this before, a belief is what you hold, a conviction is what holds you. Of course, a conviction is a type of belief, but it's a deep-seated, deep-rooted belief that holds you or sustains you through the difficult times of life And also, a deep-rooted conviction can clarify the direction of your life and the choices you make and uh, the way you think about things. And so that is what the Apostle Paul is doing here, is he is articulating the convictions of his life and ministry that sustain him. I came across a report about the Peshmerga, you know, this uh, Kurdish fighting group, this fierce Kurdish fighting group that I think is is the one army right now on the ground really taking it to ISIS. And they're just known to be fierce fighters. And, and uh, the general in the heat of the battle was quoted, or a leader of the Peshmerga was quoted as saying this. He said, um, we are convinced, we are convinced that we will defeat the jihadists. And that is what motivated them to move forward, is that conviction. And so what are the convictions that you and I live by? What are the convictions that motivate us to move forward in what God has for us? What are the convictions that sustain us? What are the truths, the deep truths that we want to pass on to our children or grandchildren, nieces, nephews? What are the convictions that we are modeling with our very lives? Well, Paul articulates three convictions here in this chapter of 2 Corinthians 5. And they're not just his convictions, I don't think, they're, they're Christian convictions. And they're Christian convictions about ultimate questions. Death, the purpose of life, and how to view other people. It's all right here. These are not trivial matters. These are the big questions. What happens when I die if I'm a Christian? What is the very purpose of my life and how should I see other people? Let's look at what he says here. About death. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Paul is convinced that the moment he dies, when his heart flatlines, when there's no more brain activity, when his vital organs is shut down, he's convinced that he will be in the presence of the Lord. Even though his body has shut down, his soul or his consciousness, that part of him that is more than matter, will be in the presence of the Lord. And that is a deep-rooted conviction that encourages him to continue on through the suffering. Because Paul in 2 Corinthians talks a lot about the suffering that he went through in his ministry, in his life as an apostle. 
In fact, that was one of the critiques against him that he's writing about in Second Corinthians is really an apology for his own ministry. He's he's saying this is who I am as an apostle. This is why I'm an apostle, because there are other people who were coming in after him. And this is a pattern in Paul's ministry. The poor guy would work hard for a church and preach and develop a community. And then these false preachers would come in and say, don't listen to Paul, listen to us. And they began to undermine his ministry and talk about him and tear down his authority. And that's what had happened in Corinth. And so he writes Second Corinthians to defend his ministry. One of the critiques against him was that he was weak, that he was not an eloquent speaker like some of the other ones, that he didn't brag about his spiritual experiences like the super apostles, as he calls them later on. Paul calls these guys that are trying to take over uh, super apostles. He's saying that sarcastically. And uh, and that he suffered and he's saying, no, actually, the suffering is where I find the strength is is through suffering that God's grace is revealed to me. But he says, no matter what happens in my life, and he did suffer a great deal and he lists all the ways that he suffered in Second Corinthians 11, he gives a catalog of he's been beaten. He's been he's gone hungry. He's been stoned. He's been lashed. He's been left for dead. He's gone. He's been shipwrecked. All the suffering that he went through. But his conviction is. After the suffering, there's glory. After the suffering, I'm going to be with the Lord. And so the worst that can happen to me is that I die and I get to be with Jesus. That's the worst. And so that is what propelled him on in his ministry in the midst of the suffering. And he said um, before he gets to this section, so we're at 2 Corinthians 5, verse 6, but in verse 5, he talks about the Holy Spirit as a deposit that is guaranteeing the good things that is going to happen in heaven, the good things, the glory that is to come in heaven. He says the Holy Spirit has been a guarantee in my life that God has glory in store for me after this life. So a guarantee is a a payment, right? It's a first installment of a fuller payment that's to come. And and Paul is saying the work of the Holy Spirit in my life has been that way. If I've experienced the goodness of God, the love of God, the forgiveness of God, the presence of the Lord, that is just a first installment of a greater payment that is to come because God doesn't default on his promises. If he's worked goodness in my life now, I know that he's got greatness in store for me later. And so that's one of his convictions that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. This idea of soul sleep, maybe some of you have heard that teaching that when you die, you just kind of go unconscious until the resurrection day. But that's not really what's taught in the scripture. What's taught in the scripture, especially in Paul, he's very clear in this in several places. This is one in and Philippians is another place where he says, if I'm away from my body, I'm going to be conscious of the presence of the Lord. Now, the ultimate hope that we have is the resurrection of the body. I mean, God has given us body. Uh, That is part of our identity. Um, And the ultimate hope is the resurrection of the body, the restoration of all creation, a a new heaven and a new earth where we will reign in embodied existence under the rule and reign of the Lord God in the new Jerusalem. Now, that's the ultimate hope. But in between our death and the resurrection and the last day, if you are in Christ, the promise is to be absent from the body is to somehow be present with the Lord. So that's a deep-rooted conviction that encourages Paul, should encourage us to continue on. 
Um, I read something the other day to my family. It was out of a reputable publication, Christianity Today. It was the experience of a, a young man. He's probably in his 40s now. But when he was a teenager, 12 years old, he got a disease that the doctors could not diagnose. And it was some sort of neurological disease, come to find out. It put him in a coma. Put him in a coma for four years. He was in a, uh, an unconscious state. And then when he was 16, he kind of came to, but he still couldn't speak. So he was lying there in the hospital and everything was going around him. And people didn't know that, that he was there. They, but he could hear everything. The poor guy, they said, he said in his um, testimony that Barney... Uh, reruns were on the TV the whole time. And he said, I just wanted to smash Barney. Can you imagine? But at 16, um, he had a hard time breathing. He felt like he, he actually realized, I'm not breathing. But I wasn't afraid. But he said, I had a vision. Two, three angels came into the room. And uh, I think it was two females and a male angel. And they wanted him to come with him, and they were speaking to him, "Come, come with me." And he wanted to go, but he thought, again, this is all going kind of. In, he's speaking these things in his con- conscious, subconscious, whatever. Um, I don't want to leave my family yet. I'm not ready for that. And so, the minute he thought that in his mind, breath filled his lungs. And then the rest of the testimony is this great testimony of how, through a therapist in the hospital, she realized uh, the lights are on. And she began to work with him, and he now can speak using a computer-assisted software. He's in a wheelchair. He has a business where he's a computer programmer, and he's married, and he's grown in his faith and his knowledge of Jesus Christ. But I bring that up because this is a testimony. We shouldn't get our theology of the afterlife from near-death experiences, by the way. All right, that, that can go bad. But when we hear, when we hear of these things, if it, it lines up with Scripture and not in conflict with Scripture, these things can encourage our faith to say, you know what, there is a reality beyond what we can see. We walk by faith, not by sight. Our culture teaches us walk by sight, not by faith. But when we hear these testimonies, we realize, and it, again, is lining up with some things that we know that Scripture teaches. We don't know everything. But there's a promise beyond this life, beyond this veil, is a spiritual reality. And if we're in Christ... The conviction is to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so we can live with that hope. Okay, so that's the first conviction that just motivated Paul to carry on. And then the second conviction is about the purpose of his very life. He says um, in verses 9 and 10, So, whether we are at home or away, whether I'm still in this earthly home or with the Lord, whether I have many days left or a few days left, No matter how much time I have, we make it our aim to please him. So that is the purpose, he's saying, of my life in this world is to please the Lord Jesus. Make it my aim to please him. That is a clarifying conviction. That that will bring clarity to the direction of our life and the choices that we make and how we interact with people. If we say to ourselves, okay, my goal in life is to please the Lord Jesus, not myself primarily, not other people primarily. Ultimately, I'm living for the Lord Jesus Christ to please him. And so how 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 do I do that in my work, in my family life, at school, in my relationships? 
My aim should be to please the Lord. These are just convictions that we know that we just need to be reminded of. And then he gives this sobering uh, thought. A very sobering thought. The reason why he wants to please the Lord. Verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So Paul realizes that at the end, at some point, after he's lived his life here, he's going to stand before the Lord and give an account of his life. Um, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Nobody can get away from this. Nobody's going to be able to recede into the crowd. This is a picture of individuals coming before Christ. No, no, nowhere to hide. This is for everybody, priest, lay people, to give an account of their life. Now, this can seem to be a difficult passage that's in conflict with some of Paul's other teaching, especially the precious uh, teaching that we're saved by grace through faith. We're saved by grace through faith alone, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You know. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. We're not going to be able to stand in front of God and boast about our good works and say, look at how great we are. Look at all the good things we've done. You must let us into heaven because of our goodness. No. Paul says that that's not the case. We're not saved by our works. Um, The works of of the law, no one will be justified by the works of the law. He teaches that in Romans as well. So, So here we have this seemingly contradiction or at least tension between Paul Paul's clear teaching that we're saved by grace through faith and this this teaching here about standing before the judgment seat of Christ. And this is for Christians. So what do we make of this? Well, there's a couple of of ways to handle it. The first thing is to is to say, and this is what some teachers say, he's not talking here about our eternal destination. He's talking about our eternal rewards that we are all. And Jesus teaches this, too, that. His servants will be rewarded based on their faithfulness and obedience to him. And when we appear before the judgment seat of Christ, it's to receive a reward or not based on our obedience and faithfulness. So you have a section of scripture like 1 Corinthians 3, verses 12 through 15, where Paul writes that on judgment day, God's going to test our works as by fire. And some of our works will be burned up like wood, hay or stubble. Other works will remain like gold and precious jewels. So perhaps that's what Paul is talking about. Not about our eternal destination, but about rewards based on our works. Well, other people say, well, no, I I think it's saying more than just rewards. He is talking here about our, our works as evidence that we're saved by grace through faith. And that's another way of thinking about it. That we're not saved by grace Um, That we are saved by grace through faith alone, but our faith is never alone. That our good works are public proof. And in the courtroom of Jesus, our good works will be a demonstration that we really do belong to him. And uh, we're not talking about perfection here again, but we're talking about some fruit to demonstrate that we have been connected to the vine of Jesus Christ. And that is maybe what Jesus is talking about here when he says, Everybody is going to appear before the throne or what Paul talks about here. Everybody will appear before the throne 
of Jesus. I don't think it's a contradiction of the clear teaching that we're saved by grace through faith alone, but that we are going to have to give an account of our lives before the Lord. It does matter what we do with the time that He's given us and how we live. And of course, when we come to the Lord Jesus as our judge, He's also our Redeemer and our merciful Savior. But is this your conviction in your life? Do we hold fast to this conviction? Sometimes we lose sight that the purpose of my life as a Christian to please the Lord in my relationships, in my family, at work, at school, please the Lord. And then Paul gives a um, conviction about how he views other people. Look at verses 14 through 17. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. That is, Jesus Christ has died for the sins of all people. We say this in our liturgy. He is the propitiation of our sins and not only ours, but the sins of the whole world. So whoever puts their faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ has their sins forgiven and can be reconciled to God. And so he says the love of Christ is motivating, controlling, pushing us. Because we've concluded that one has died for all, therefore all have died in the sense that they ought to live their life for him. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And then this is, I think, the most challenging part of what Paul is teaching, at least for me, as I work through it this week, the most challenging conviction that, that I need to, I think, really work on. All of them have been challenging, but this is very challenging. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. We're not going to look at people through the lens of the world. Um, we have been taught by our culture and by the world to kind of size people up as soon as you meet them. Uh, I don't know about you, but I have to watch myself sometimes. What kind of education does this person have? How do I compare to them? How much money do they make? You know, uh, what, you know where are they coming from and, 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 and how do I compare to them? Um, we, we, we think about how, how to relate to people from other, other groups, other backgrounds, and we, again, kind of pit ourselves and categorize people and label people. And Paul says that all needs to go away. Everyone is beloved by God. Everyone has the opportunity for salvation because Christ has given his life for the sins of the whole world. And so we don't look at people that way. Rather, we see them as potential new creations in Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. Think about that in your own life and think about the people that you know who have been changed by the transforming love of Jesus Christ, who've gotten that message, who's put their faith and trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for their sins. Think about how that has made people new, how that has made you new. And then everyone that we meet is potentially a new creation in Jesus Christ. No matter how far or distant they seem from God. They are potentially a new creation in Christ. And our role 
is to be like Paul, as he goes on to say, be an ambassador for Christ. I am an ambassador for Christ as I relate to other people. Now, I think about some people that I know who have been changed, who become new creations in Christ, and it, and it motivates me then to, to try to be more of an ambassador for Jesus Christ and to, and to believe in the parable that Jesus taught, that to believe this idea that if I just sow the seed of the Word of God and just sow the Gospel, God is going to go to work there. He's going to do things in the life of that person that I don't really understand. The farmer sows the seed and he's not sure how it grows up, but the seed itself grows. The power of the gospel is within the gospel itself. It's not my intelligence or my effort that's going to make the gospel bear fruit in people's life. I'm just responsible to throw out the seed. And I need to see people as potential new creations in Christ. I think about a friend who uh, was really uh, career driven when I first met him. Uh, he was a good guy. He was he, he, he was a churchgoer, but he was focused on his career above everything else. But then he heard the gospel. It came alive to him. And uh, Jesus is more than just a good example to him now. Jesus is his Lord and Savior. The Bible is more than just an interesting history book. The Bible is the word of God to him. And he's training his family up in this way. And he's changed the legacy of his family. I, I think about another friend that I know who's been uh, made a new creation by Christ. He was once on, on, on his way to prison, a federal prison, because of drug dealing. And he had to plea bargain his, out, his way out of prison. God got a hold of him. Christ got a hold of him. And he's a new creation in Christ. And he has a ministry to the poor and to people who are addicted. I know somebody else, and this is real timely, a man who struggled with gender identity issues that was tearing his life literally apart, his family tore his family apart. But through the word of God, through prayer, through counseling, he became a new creation and Christ healed him and restored him and made him whole. That is the power of Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying, I view everybody through that lens through the cross of Christ and a potential new creation. So these are the deep-rooted convictions of Paul the Apostle that kept him going to the very end. What about you? What about me? After death, I'll be with the Lord. Every person is a potential new creation that I come in contact with. And the purpose of my life from the time that I have left is to please Him to please Him. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that these convictions would be our convictions and um, I pray that we will heed the challenge. And I pray that You'll help us. There's a lot here to chew on, but help us, God, to just live with deep-rooted Christian convictions based on the truth, Lord Jesus, of who You are. Help us to carry these convictions with us today and throughout this week. In Jesus' name, we pray. And all God's people said,